Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Part 1. For more resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Today we begin a new section in Defenders class. Before we do so, let's step back and reconnoiter so that we see the big picture. For the last year or so, we've been studying the doctrine of God, the existence and nature of God. And the first subject that we looked at under this general heading was the attributes of God. And we looked at such properties as omniscience, omnipotence, aseity, eternity, holiness, love, and so on. Then we did an excursus on natural theology, looking at uh, arguments for God's existence, such as the cosmological argument, the moral argument, the teleological argument, and then as, uh, looked at arguments against God's existence as well. Finally, most recently, we just finished a subsection on the doctrine of the Trinity. And today, we want to start with a new subsection of the doctrine of God, of the Holy Spirit. Theologians often refer to this area as the uh, area of pneumatology. That comes from the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit or wind. Obviously, the word from which we get our word pneumatic, as in a pneumatic drill or pneumatic hammer. And so we're going to be studying together now pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has rightly been called the forgotten person of the Trinity. When you look at the early post-apostolic fathers, it seems that they were virtually binitarians rather than Trinitarians. They believed in God the Father and his word or logos who proceeded from the Father, but there was almost nothing said about the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Trinitarian and Christological controversies that dominated the early church for centuries um, precluded any in-depth discussion of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, for example, in the Apostles' Creed, all you find with regard to the Holy Spirit is the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit, which begs the question, well, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Or in the Nicene Creed, it's even briefer, uh, after saying, I believe in the Father and the Son, and those persons are explained, it says, and in the Holy Spirit. He's sort of thrown in there at the end for good measure. And even today, I find that the Holy Spirit seems to be neglected by many Christians. For example, in my own seminary education, one of the courses that we took as part of our core curriculum in the Master of Divinity program was a systematic theology course entitled God, Man, and Christ. And when you think about it, it's very odd. Is that a new sort of unholy trinity? God, man, and Christ? What happened to the Holy Spirit? Uh, he was sort of left out, I'm afraid. 
And so we want to spend a little time talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And as such, he is co-equal with God the Father and with God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. We've already looked at some of the verses on the deity of this Spirit, but let's just uh, look at Acts 5, 3, and 4 once again. Acts chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4. There, Peter says to Ananias, who has uh, attempted to keep some of the proceeds of the land that he sold, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So in verse 3, he says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he says, you have lied to God himself. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not the ghost of Jesus, as might be suggested by the unfortunate uh, archaic translation, the Holy Ghost. Um, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus' ghost, who's somehow still roaming the earth after Jesus has departed to, to heaven. Rather, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. As such, the Holy Spirit is a person, a self-conscious, rational individual. The Holy Spirit is not an it. We should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Um, because he is not an impersonal force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a which. Look, for example, at uh, Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Here the Holy Spirit speaks and uses first-person pronouns in reference to himself. Me and I, which only a person can do. Look also in the Gospel of John at John chapter 14 and verses 15 to 17. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. Here Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here Jesus promises the advent of the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will come in his place and will indwell believers. And as I explained when we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, John actually violates Greek grammar in this verse in using a masculine pronoun for the Holy Spirit. The word spirit in the Greek is neuter, and yet John uses a masculine pronoun, he, 
with respect to the Holy Spirit. Then reading further in verses 25 to 26, verses 25 to 26 we read, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here we have the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, which obviously again shows that he is a person since he is going to be teaching uh, Jesus' followers um, the, the teaching that Jesus has given them. And then in John 16, the next chapter, verses 17 uh, through, or 7 to 15, John 16, verses 7 to 15, Jesus expands on this. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here Jesus again describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church after Jesus is ascended to the Father. And he makes this very remarkable statement that it is actually to our advantage that Jesus depart and the Holy Spirit come in his place. What could be more profitable, you would think, than having the personal presence of Jesus himself with us? But Jesus said, no, it's actually better for you, it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit will come, and he will declare to you um, the truth about me, and will convict the world uh, of sin and righteousness and judgment. So it shows the importance uh, and uh, personal nature of the Holy Spirit. Also, take a look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Here we have described the intercessory prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit on behalf of believers. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Paul says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
Here the Holy Spirit is clearly a person because he intercedes for the saints according to God's will, and it refers to the mind of the Spirit, that God the Father knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. So once again, I think it's very clear that we're not dealing here with some kind of impersonal force or energy or power. This is a person. It is God himself. It is the third person of the Trinity. And finally, this person is distinct from the Father and the Son. This is not the Father or the Son in a different guise or different role. This is a different person. Matthew 28 19 lists all three of the persons together. One of the great Trinitarian verses in the New Testament, Matthew 28, 19. This is part of the Great Commission. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So all three of the persons are named in this baptismal formula, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, we have all three of the persons uh, mentioned in the same verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 the last uh, benediction of this letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here, as is typical, God refers to God the Father, the Lord refers to Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So these are three distinct persons of the Trinity, equally divine, equally personal. Any comment or discussion of that first point on who the Holy Spirit is? Yes. Uh, so, in terms of the Holy, so in terms of the Holy Spirit uh, being God, actually one of my favorite verses to go to is in uh, Hebrews chapter ten, verses fifteen through seventeen. Where, okay, give us a chance to turn to that. Hebrews ten, did you say? Yeah, Hebrews ten, verses fifteen through seventeen. Okay, just a moment. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, where it says, uh, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and then it gives a quote from the Old Testament, I think it's Jeremiah, where it says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So I find it interesting that it's, it says the Holy Spirit says this, and then it gives a quote from the Old Testament that specifically is talking about Yahweh. In fact, where it says Lord, yeah. in the Old Testament, it uses the Tetragrammaton right there. So it seems pretty clear for me what it's specifically saying is that it's identifying the Holy Spirit as Yahweh, which is also why I like to use this verse when talking to Jehovah's Witnesses as well. I find it very effective. Yeah, good. Okay, thank you. Any other comment on this first point? Steve, over here. Very controversial here. The, oh. Uh, like you said, our predecessors classified or named it like the, the Holy Ghost. And I think it's probably because of the John 16, 7, where it says, he's been with us, but then if I go, he can come in us. And so there's, there's more to it than just saying, there's more to the Trinity than we know right now. 
Okay, 16.7 in John says, um, if I go, I will send him to you. And as we read, he says he, he is with you, but he will be in you. And I take it that the difference there is not in the Holy Spirit himself, but rather in the fact that in the Old Covenant, people were not indwelt with the Holy Spirit on a sort of ongoing basis. We'll talk about this more later on, the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. It would seem that the Holy Spirit would come upon people like the judges, like Samson or Gideon, to do some great act, some great feat, but then he would leave them. Uh, And so David can pray in the Psalms, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I don't think any Christian could pray that prayer in the New Covenant because the Holy Spirit now indwells us. Uh, That's the change that happened at Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit himself doesn't change, but I think his relationship to the believer undergoes a fundamental change at Pentecost in that he now becomes the permanent um, indwelling presence within the life of the believer that wasn't true before. I agree with all that. What I'm pointing out is it says he can't come in us until Christ leaves. Okay. Taylor? So the two words that were used were uh, for God is uh, kyrios. Yeah. Yes. And then what, is, what would be the Holy Spirit for Greek? Okay. Spirit is pneuma hagios, the Holy Spirit. So theos is God, kurios is Lord, and top pneuma hagios is the Holy Spirit. Yes, Bruce? Another great Trinitarian verse is in, uh, in Hebrews, is Hebrews 9, uh, 14 or 16. Uh, how much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, <laughs> cleansing our conscience, consciences from acts that lead us to death so that we might serve the living God. So you have, you have a, a Trinitarian formula in that verse as well. Oh, yes, I see, yes. The blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself to God, and so you have the Trinitarian formula there too. Yes, good. Actually, this should be hagion because it's neuter, not masculine. All right, let's talk then about some of the attributes that the Holy Spirit possesses. And uh, keep your finger right there on Hebrews 9 uh, and verse 14 that Bruce just read because I want to highlight the Holy Spirit's attribute of eternity. Um, To read the verse again, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works? So here, the attribute of being eternal is referred to uh, with respect to the Holy Spirit. Omnipresence is described in Psalm 139 and verse 7. The Spirit's being all present, Psalm 139 and verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. 
here he cannot escape the presence of the Spirit no matter where he goes. God, the Holy Spirit, is present there. Omniscience is attributed to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Here he says, God has revealed to us what he's speaking of in the previous verse through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. This is a remarkable verse where Paul says that the spirit searches even the depths of God and that the spirit comprehends, uh, encompasses, takes in, understands the thoughts of God himself. So this would indicate that we're dealing here with uh, someone who is omniscient. Fourth, uh, holiness is an attribute of the Spirit. That's obvious just in the name itself, the Holy Spirit. But we have this referred to specifically, for example, in Romans 1.4. Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 4 speaks of how Christ is designated Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So here the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of holiness. And finally, the Holy Spirit is ascribed the attribute of love in Romans 5.5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul says, Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit is not simply the source of power or guidance or strength. He is also the source of love. It is through the Holy Spirit that God's love is poured into our hearts. So I think you can see that the attributes of deity are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Attributes like eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, holiness, and love, uh, thereby underlining the uh, deity of the Holy Spirit. Any comment on that brief overview of the attributes of God ascribed to the Holy Spirit? All right, what we'll do next time then uh, is begin to look at the relationship of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to the second person of the Trinity, Christ, and then examine the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've not been through this material before, I think you're going to be very surprised to see how vitally involved the person of the Holy Spirit is in our Christian lives that we live today. So let's close with a benediction, shall we? And now may the love of God be poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to the praise of our God and Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.